Welcome to the CFC Jacks Midweek Podcast, where we discuss topics related to becoming a fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ follower. We hope that wherever you are today, you'll be encouraged by the truths discussed in this podcast. Good morning again, and welcome to Q&A. This is your opportunity to text in questions from the sermon this morning. So you'll see there's a phone number up on the screen. That's for you to text those questions in, whatever might be stirring in your heart or your mind this morning. We do have some that have come in. All right. Imagine that. I thought there might be some questions on that. Yeah, it's one of those topics that usually a couple of them come in. They're questions, not hate mail, I assume. We'll see. Just questions. Okay. Just questions. Um, so first one here, uh, from the perspective of a parent, when we're talking yeah. about um, conscience. Uh, so for parents, how do we let our kids be fully convinced where God has given freedom? Uh, well, uh, yeah, that, that that's, a, that's an interesting question. My first thought is, boy, I would want to know age range. Sure. Um, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously. I say obviously, and I should not say obviously. I want to think about my parenting role in this principle. Um, My child starts completely dependent upon me, and my role as a parent is to grow them towards a independence from me so that they are prepared to walk with the Lord and engage with life, uh, not, not to disregard me, but independent independent of me, dependent upon the Lord, but independent of me. So as they grow, therefore, I think the principle that every parent should function in is, is am I giving them freedom to start making some choices, not outside of uh, – not where the Lord doesn't give choices. You know, let's be clear. The Scripture says this is right, this is wrong. Right. We're not giving choices there. But in this questions of matter of conscience, as they grow older and older, I want to give them greater freedom there to prepare them for healthy adulthood. If I give too much too soon, then I'm going to um, require them to make decisions they're not ready to make. If I never let them make any decisions along the way, then they are going to be totally dependent. And sometimes I have to acknowledge, it seems like parents want that dependence upon them so that it keeps the the kids close, but that doesn't produce a healthy adult. Right. So... Uh, um, Maybe if this individual had a specific question according to a, a specific age. Um, as I'm trying to think of a particular example, as our kids got older, we gave freedom regarding when they went to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that freedom was based completely upon their ability to get themselves up in the morning. And to be not just to get themselves up in the morning, but ready to go when it was time to go. If you couldn't handle the morning freedom, then you did not get the previous nighttime before freedom. So Mm -hmm. that would be a a simple example. But we gave them from earliest on, we gave them 
freedom to choose, do you want to eat your dinner or not eat your dinner? You don't get to eat anything else the rest of the day if you don't eat. You can't choose something else. But if you don't want to eat your dinner, you don't need to eat your dinner. You don't get dessert and you don't get anything else. If you eat all your dinner, then you can get dessert. But so we gave that freedom early on. So just trying to give some, some parameters of giving some freedom to help them learn to make good decisions when you can still be a part of helping them evaluate those decisions. So mm -hmm. it would be appropriate question for a parent to ask uh, or to give freedom and then say, how'd you come to that conclusion? That's a great question. Yeah. yeah. How do you come to that conclusion? You're not challenging. I just am curious how you came to the conclusion. What was the thought process? So you're teaching thought process. Mm -hmm. So if there's a specific that they want to ask, they could text that in. Yeah, and there, I mean, there's also, as a parent, you're setting an example for your kids as well. So your areas of conscience, like in our home, we choose to do blank or not to right. do blank, but to explain those reasons to them can be helpful right. rather than just saying, this is just what we do. But then, because they will see it different when they go to other kids' homes or hearing things at school mm. or whatever, but to know why you do it in your home might be helpful for them to understand. Uh, yeah. Again, trying to think example-wise, like we had a rule uh, that even if your license said uh, because of your age, you could be out past midnight – as long as you were in our house living under our roof, we said, no, you got to be home by midnight. And uh, that was tighter than the law, but that was a matter of what we thought was wisdom. So mm -hmm. we, we required them to do that. Um, and we, we've had some questions uh, regarding if someone's um, areas of conscience don't line up with yours yes. and they respond to you in a negative way or a harsh judgmental way, how do you handle that? Yeah. Okay. So I have freedom and the scripture gives me freedom mm -hmm. and they don't like it. They're judging me. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't, I can't keep them from judging me. It's not my responsibility to say, hey, you need to stop judging me. It's my responsibility to not condemn them or treat them with contempt because they're treating me with contempt. So uh, I, I think the temptation is we need to set people straight. I think it's I think it's appropriate to explain. I understand you disagree with me and you've come to a different conclusion. Mm -hmm. If the judgment is because they think the scriptures that you're exercising freedom where the scripture doesn't give freedom. And I've had lots, you can imagine, maybe this will come up, but I've had lots of people challenge my assertion that the scripture gives freedom for drinking of alcohol short of drunkenness. Mm -hmm. There's lots of folks who would go, no, the Bible does not give that, that freedom. So. Uh, they don't believe that freedom. I've showed them in the scriptures where uh, I think that's exceedingly clear. 
that there is freedom there. There's warning. There is danger, obviously, with alcohol. I said obviously, yeah. There's danger, and there's caution in the scriptures given to the use of alcohol, but there is not a forbidding of it. Clearly, Jesus turned water into good wine. Uh, Mm -hmm. which was not grape juice because nobody who thinks wine is good thinks grape juice is good. So he turned water into good wine. uh, And um, actually the scripture, Paul to Timothy, speaks to the issue of the medicinal value of some wine, never to the point of drunkenness. We may disagree with that. If they're judging me for that, it's not my responsibility to stop them. It's my responsibility to make sure that I don't judge them back in return, which was the funny moment in the service. I used the example of the uh, hey dudes, the shoes, because I knew that what would happen is people would judge the person for making that judgment. And I can't believe they said that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, because I really wasn't bothered that the person thought I shouldn't wear hey dudes. Uh, and they weren't saying I wasn't a Christian because I was doing so. They were just uh, communicating their opinion. But I knew it would be a way to elicit that quick-to-judge streak in all of us. Some good teacher <laughs> skills right there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it wasn't, it was, but it was funny. <laughs> um, in re- so a question here said, for things like smoking, it's been scientifically proven to cause long-term serious health concerns. Shouldn't we as believers view this as something to be avoided? Yeah, there's no doubt there's wisdom issues here. Mm -hmm. And and you may go, well, who's going to choose to be foolish? Well, um, people, what we're saying is the Scripture does not say, thou shall not use tobacco. There's great caution, and science has revealed that. But the same arguments have been made towards sugar. And there's, and rarely do I find people for spiritual reasons coming down on sugar like it has come down on tobacco. So I'm not advocating tobacco. I'm not advocating drinking. I'm advocating that we don't make the scripture say things it doesn't say, because Mm -hmm. when we do, we create turmoil within the bottle, in the body, and within the bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Turmoil within the body and confusion with the gospel outside the body. Right. Um, so question here about someone else's personal journey. I guess they're maybe an observer. So what if someone's personal journey and conviction is not in a gray area? For example, a believer who is in a homosexual relationship, but a relationship that has remained celibate until marriage. Yeah, that is not an, that's not an area where the Scripture is gray. And the, clearly the Scripture created male and female and God created male and female marriage to be between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. And the scripture explicitly uh, condemns homosexuality as a sin. Doesn't mean it's not 
forgivable and that uh, the Lord can't transform a person, but we can't take things that the Scripture has said clearly are right and wrong and move them into gray areas. That is just the other version of I want to become the lawgiver, the lawmaker, Mm -hmm. and we're not to be judges of the law or makers of the law were to be doers of the law. So uh, that's happening a lot, quite frankly, where there was many times uh, uh, issues of where there were things that the Scripture said didn't say we're wrong that we made wrong. Now that ship has kind of turned in a different direction. It's not us saying things are wrong that the scripture didn't say was wrong. It's now us saying things are right that the scripture doesn't say mm-hmm. are right. And both practices are violating what James 1, 11, uh, James 4, 11, and 12 said about we're to be doers of the law, not the ones who judge the law. See, we are condemning God's law as guilty and wrong when we say what he says is wrong isn't actually wrong. Mm. The authority. Yes. The scripture. Um, so continuing on the thread of relationships here, it says, I've seen a Christian judge another Christian for having a friend who is a non-Christian. Mm-hmm. And therefore, judging both of them as not saved. So, I guess based on their company. Okay. Um, so, is this defined by scripture? So, I okay. guess I'm trying to ask what the. Is it, I think the question is is it appropriate for a Christian to be friends with a non Christian? Mm-hmm. Uh, the clear example of Jesus. Um, and so make sure we, we see it. He is accused of as unrighteously being a friend of sinners. So Jesus was a friend of sinners. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says very specifically in Luke chapter 15, um, wow, it's taken me a long time to get there. Luke chapter 15, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So it is 100% in line with Jesus that an unbelie- that a believer would be a friend to an unbeliever. Now, we have to exercise wisdom in that. Uh, I think I shared this in our Q&A last week. There may be a person who is still new in their faith and immature in their faith, and their associations with unbelievers are causing them to go back into their sin and to do things that they have that they now know to be wrong, but that association leads to temptation and sin. And that situation... You need to say, I can't be around people who are going to lead me into temptation that way. That was not a problem for Jesus. So let's not be foolish. Let's be wise in making sure that Jesus was impacting them positively. The sinners, the tax collectors were not impacting Jesus negatively. 
So be wise in your relationships with unbelievers so as not to cause you to sin. It would... If you've had drinking issues in the past, obviously, of abusing alcohol, and you come to Christ and you're born again, and those are your uh, are your friends, it may be unwise for you to still hang out with them in a bar because of that lifestyle and where that led you in the past. Now, for another person who is not tempted by alcohol, who has never had drinking issues, they may say, not a problem for me to go and to sit with an unbeliever at a bar and have a drink with them. Even if they drink excessively, I'm not going to drink excessively, and I can engage in that way. So I think the pattern of Jesus makes it clear that believers can be friends with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. So taking it to a, a next level of relationship between a husband and a wife, a question here about when they disagree on an area of conscience. So um, our household has some division on the topic of Disney specifically. Um, I've come to believe we should not be giving our money to them or exposing our children to them in the parks, but my husband doesn't want to stop going just yet. I feel I may have become judgmental over the situation. What's the best way to handle a situation like this? Hmm. Well, there'd be be one of two ways to handle it. If you think you should not, you could say, well, uh, as a husband, you can take the kids to Disney. I'm not going to attend because that would be sin for me. That'd be the first. I don't think that's the best, but that could be a first solution. Within the marriage, you want to move towards as much as possible unity. And so... Where there is a lack of unity, where there's thinking differently, um, I would encourage you as husband and wife to simply say, you've been praying about it individually. I've been praying about it individually. Let's pray together about this. And praying together as a couple, not to convince the other person or to ask God to get them to join you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're simply asking the Lord, Lord, we want to be of one mind on this, so would you give us unity in the Spirit? See, uh, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And so where there is that brokenness, and it doesn't have to be ugly, if there is a sense of uh, a contempt, then I encourage you, Lord, uh, I've condemned where you haven't condemned. Uh, thanks for not condemning me. <laughs> so, Lord, uh, confess that to the Lord and seek to give grace where God has given grace and give freedom where God has given freedom, but um, ask the Lord together to give you unity. And I'm pretty confident I'm not saying you pray about it one night, but I'm pretty confident that if there was, uh, and I don't have a magic number here, but if you spent 30 days together praying every day together, Lord, give us unity on this, and then we're dialoguing about it, not fighting about it, dialoguing about it. How do you come to the conclusion? What were your, what's your rationale? What do you think we should do? Where do you have some room for movement? I think the Lord will give unity there. 
Because I think that's uh, you're asking him to bring about what he wants in your marriage. Right. He wants peace. Yeah. Joy and righteousness. Yeah. No. Um, so question here, two-part question on drunkenness. Um, since there's no alarm bell that goes off to determine drunkenness, how can believers know when they are drunk? And part two is when should a believer call out another believer for perceived drunkenness? Well, drunkenness is um, clearly defined by our by the law, number one, in terms of drunkenness as it relates to dry, driving and a breathalyzer test. But I think individually, any sense that you are diminished in your ability to control, live under control, you may go, well, I'm buzzed, but I'm not drunk. I think you have crossed a line of Alcohol is now diminishing your ability to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we're to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So I would think long before drunkenness, the buzz is the beginning stages of drunkenness. So your speech starts to slur. You, you can't talk as clearly or as quickly. You have kind of to slow down. I watch people at uh, restaurants or we were at Daly's Place or something, and I would see guys that they weren't staggering drunk, but you could watch and see they needed to really concentrate when they would walk. They, they had to very much concentrate because they didn't just have that natural an impairment. Control. Yeah. So uh, I think I think people know when they're buzzed. So the second part of the question was? Uh, when should a believer call out another believer for perceived drunkenness? So I'm assuming if you have a friend, it appears as though they're falling into a pattern of drunkenness perhaps? Well, I wouldn't wait for a pattern. Yeah. Um, I think – that the scripture defines if your brother sins, go to him privately. So Matthew 18, so don't draw the conclusion um, unless they're staggering drunk, drunk or it's clear that they're drunk. I think you can frame the words appropriately. It seemed to me based on and then give the evidence by the way you walked, by what you said, by how loud you got or how angry you were getting or how, you know, some people aren't angry junks, they're sappy. And so I noticed this change and it seemed to be connected to the alcohol. And again, you're doing this privately. I think we both know what the scripture says, that we're to be filled with the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit, not to be controlled by alcohol. So I want to let you know it seemed like that wasn't the case. They may be defensive. They may appreciate your willingness. They'll probably—I I don't want to predict what they'll do. But I think you don't have to wait to see repeated action. When you think you see it, I think it's appropriate to go, hey, I think I saw it. I think I saw it, and I think it's good for us to believe. Uh, love believes all things, and so if I'm if I'm going to someone, 
I'm not going to go assuming the worst. I'm going to go assuming I think you want to obey the Lord, and I think you want to please the Lord. And so I, I need you to know what I saw I didn't think was this. It seemed like this. So uh, go with a heart to call out the good of the spirit, if they're a believer, the good of the spirit of God within them, and then offer how you might help them in any way in the future, hmm. to, to whether it's accountability, encouragement, whatever, to help them not get to that place of impairment, of loss of control of the Holy Spirit again. Approaching them in love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before you go, Galatians 6 gives uh, some clear instruction that's probably worth hearing uh, right now. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual doesn't say you who are perfect. You who are in control of the Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. So there's gentleness, there is love, there's humility in which we go when we confront something that we seem to think is inappropriate. Bearing with one another. Yep. Well, thank you so much for the questions. We appreciate that and for hanging in there. And we hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the CFC Jacks podcast. Be sure to watch as we release new teachings weekly, along with additional content during the week. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.cfcjacks.com. Thanks for listening.